Hello, and welcome to Based on a True Story this week, where we'll learn how movies depict historical events that happened between February 27th and March 5th. Let's get into it. February 28th, 1993, Waco, Texas. A line of vehicles are driving quickly down a dirt road. In the lead, we can see two pickup trucks, a red and white one, as well as a blue and white one. Both pickups are pulling covered trailers. Behind the two pickups are three large black SUVs. They look kind of like Chevy Suburbans, although it's hard to verify that's what they are from the camera angle. Overhead, a Huey helicopter passes the line of vehicles and heads towards a compound with a large building. The camera cuts to inside the building with two women. One of the women is holding a screaming baby, while behind her a young boy sits on one of the two bunk beds in the room. The other woman, not the one holding the baby, hears a noise outside and looks out the window. She's surprised to see the helicopter fly overhead. Downstairs, three men approach the front door. They peer outside to see another flyby with the helicopter. Taylor Kitsch's character, David Koresh, turns around from the front door and says, All the women and children need to go upstairs right now. One of the women nods in approval as everyone heads upstairs. There are quite a few women and children, too many to count all at once. As they get the children into rooms, downstairs we can see some of the men handing out guns, assault rifles, maybe a machine gun. It was hard to tell. There's a lot of guns. Koresh tells the men not to do anything stupid. He's going to go outside and talk to them. Other men scatter, at least one of them going upstairs, and Andy Umberger's character, Perry Jones, looks at Koresh and lets out a big breath of air. Then Koresh turns around, and with one hand already up, he opens the front door and steps outside. As soon as he gets outside, his other hand is up. Both arms raised just outside the front door now. He's rushed by the uniformed men outside. They're all wearing ATF vests, and most of them are carrying heavy weapons. Koresh yells out for them to calm down. Please stop. The officers yell back at him to get on the ground. He says, there are women and children inside. Then some of the pet dogs they have on the compound start barking and growling at the armed ATF agents on the other side of the wooden fence. One of the agents puts his gun over the fence and shoots the dog. Hearing that, another agent yells, shots fired, and all hell breaks loose. Koresh is hit as he runs back inside. Jones is hit as a shot goes through the front door just after it's closed. Neither are killed, but they're bleeding badly. From inside the building, one of the men fires back and we can see an ATF agent get hit and go down. One of the women near a window gets shot in the hand and the baby that she's holding falls as she hits the ground as well. Both sides start firing back and forth, creating a hail of bullets that rip through the walls, doors, and glass windows of the building. Inside, as he ducks for cover from the gunfire, Demore Barnes's version of Wayne Martin calls 911. He screams into the phone that there are 75 ATF agents around our building and they're shooting at us. This depiction comes from the 2018 miniseries called Wake Up, and it shows us an event that happened this week in history. The gunfight that started a 51-day siege between the U.S. government and the Branch Davidians. 
The series was correct to show that 77 agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, or just the ATF, went to the Branch Davidians compound 13 miles outside of Waco on the morning of February 28, 1993. The official reason they were there was to execute search warrants on the compound for weapons as well as a warrant for the arrest of David Koresh. They believed the Branch Davidians had about 250 weapons on the compound. There were 128 Branch Davidians on the compound as well, 46 of whom were children. From there, the true story is shrouded in a little more mystery than what we see in the series, simply because there's a lot of he said, she said type of finger pointing. For example, in the series, we see dogs barking at the ATF agents from behind a fence. That's what causes the agent to shoot the dog. That triggers another agent to think they're being fired upon. So from there, everyone opens up. This is what the official ATF website has to say about how it started. The Davidians were alerted to the impending raid by a local postman who was also a cult member. The heavily armed cult members were waiting in ambush as the agents unloaded from their vehicles. Koresh was outside on the porch as the agents approached, telling him they had a search warrant and instructing him to get down. He retreated inside the house. Gunfire burst through the door as the agents approached. One agent was wounded. But according to Branch Davidian survivors, they deny shooting first. We'll probably never know the true story for certain. Another thing the series got right was that 911 call from Wayne Martin. This is an excerpt from the real 911 call. 911, what's your emergency? They didn't call it off. The ensuing gunfight lasted two and a half hours. Four ATF agents and six Branch Davidians were killed in the opening gunfight. After that, the FBI took over, and for the next 51 days, the Branch Davidians were held under siege by, according to some reports, up to 900 federal agents. The siege ended on April 19, 1993, and in the end, those four ATF agents died while 82 Branch Davidians lost their lives. If you want to see this week's event in history depicted on screen, check out the 2018 miniseries called Waco. The ATF agents arrive at the compound at the very beginning of the third episode. I'm sure it's no surprise that I believe we can learn from history. And that includes my own personal history, too. You know how your phone will remind you of photos that you took on this day a few years ago? Well, I just had one pop up and it reminded me of a time a few years ago when my daughter and I were heading out on a four hour drive to a state park. And it couldn't have been more like 10 minutes into the drive when my check engine light turned on and my car just started shaking really, really bad. Needless to say, we ended up spending the rest of the day at the mechanic instead of the park. Not only was that day ruined, but all of a sudden I had a huge unexpected bill to figure out how to pay. And I really wish I had known about today's sponsor then because that would have relieved a lot of stress. Earn In helps alleviate financial anxiety by giving you access to your pay as you work instead of waiting for the next paycheck. You can get up to $100 a day or up to $750 per pay period. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, 
type in True Story under podcast when you sign up, and it'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. February 29th, 1692, Salem, Massachusetts. At least a dozen young girls are sitting in a row. They're each wearing very modest and dull-colored dresses with white bonnets. A few of them also have white aprons on, and a man seems to be scolding them. He says someone had to have led them to dance around the fire. Save yourselves and tell me who it was. We can see the man now. It's... Rob Campbell's character, Reverend Hale. He asks more questions of the girls, none of whom have said a single word. Did someone drink from the kettle that was over the fire? Were there spells being cast? Looking at one of the girls right in front of him now, he yells at her, Was there? Obviously afraid, she shakily points a finger at Winona Ryder's character, Abigail Williams, who immediately denies it. She insists it was not her, but the reverend wants a name. Who was it? Then, Williams gives a name. Tichuba. In the next shot, we can see another reverend, Bruce Davidson's version of Reverend Harris, alongside Jeffrey Jones's version of Thomas Putnam, with Abigail Williams and Charlene Woodard's character of Tichuba. Williams continues to accuse Tichuba, but Tichuba insists she didn't do anything bad. Harris and Putnam throw Tichuba to the ground with force, while Williams' claims get even more extreme, saying Tichuba made them drink blood. At this, Reverend Hale is even more outraged. You drank blood? Then another claim from Francis Conroy's version of Ann Putnam, saying it was her baby's blood. You murdered my babies, Tichuba. Reverend Hale asks Tichuba when she compacted with the devil, but Tichuba says she didn't. To this, Reverend whips Tichuba, saying he'll beat her to death unless she admits to compacting with the devil. Finally, as the whipping continues, Tichuba says she doesn't desire to work for him. The him she mentions referring to the devil. The whipping stops, but Reverend Hale isn't done with her yet. He's going to rid her of the devil. He takes her into a room and asks her when the devil comes, does he bring other people? And Putnam is there, and she asks Tichuba if Sarah Good is one of the others working with the devil. Tichuba stutters, saying it was dark. She couldn't see anyone else. Reverend Hale tells Tichuba that the devil can never overcome a minister, so he will protect her. You are here to help us cleanse this village. Now who came with the devil? And Putnam again blurts out, asking if it was either Sarah Good or maybe Osborne. The Reverend insists Tichuba give them their names, the names of the others in league with the devil. Then Tichuba, a black woman from Barbados, tells a story about how the devil tells her that he has white people who belong to him. And she saw Sarah Good and Osborne. Others in the room gasp while Ann Putnam says she knew it. This depiction comes from the 1992 movie, The Crucible. 
And while that movie is an adaptation of a play by Arthur Miller, so it's one more step removed from history, it is true that Tichibo was a real person. And she, along with Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne, were three women accused of witchcraft this week in history. We don't know a lot about the real Tichuba, but we do know that Reverend Samuel Paris brought three enslaved people with him when he arrived in Massachusetts from the Caribbean, so it's likely she was one of them. We also don't know if Tichuba tried to practice any sort of magic with the young girls in Salem like the movie suggests. The true story is that Reverend Paris's nine-year-old daughter, Betty, started exhibiting what they thought was strange behavior. She and the 11-year-old, Abigail Williams, who was Reverend Paris's niece, and the 12-year-old Ann Putnam Jr. started having fits. They were contorting violently in seemingly uncontrollable bursts of screaming. The town doctor and Reverend Hale, a neighboring minister, came to get to the bottom of these afflictions. The diagnosis was that the girls were bewitched, so they tried to get to the bottom of it. Meanwhile, other young girls in town started to act up in the same manner. They were afflicted as well. Trying to get to the bottom of the bewitchment, the young girls blamed Tichuba, who in turn was beaten as they tried to get a confession out of her. She claimed to see visions of the devil and witches. Two other women, Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne, were also named. And so it was that on February 29, 1692, the first arrest warrants were officially issued for Tichuba, Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne. It was the start of what we now know as the Salem Witch Trials, when, between February of 1692 and May of 1693, about 200 people were charged and 19, quote-unquote, witches were executed. In 1976, Science Magazine published a study that suggested the cause was fungus ergot, found in rye, wheat, and other cereals that can cause delusions, vomiting, and muscle spasms. If you want to check out this week's event in history depicted on screen, check out the 1992 movie, The Crucible. The first accusations start around the 29-minute mark. And if you want to dive deeper into the true story, we covered The Crucible back on episode number 143 of Based on a True Story. March 2nd, 1940, Arcadia, California. An announcer holds the mic as he waves at the throngs of people behind him. He says it's the largest crowd ever at Santa Anita, with 55,000 in the stands and 20,000 in the infield, and it's only 12 o'clock. The camera cuts to a man strapping his boot on tight. The camera pans up then to show us Jeff Bridges' character, Charles Howard, and Elizabeth Banks' character, Marcella Howard. They're standing along with Chris Cooper's character, Tom Smith. Now we can see the man who is pulling on his boots, Toby Maguire's character, Red Pollard. Marcella Howard hands Pollard a St. Christopher's necklace for luck. And with that, Red says it's time to go win a race. In the next shot, we can see Red Pollard being helped onto a horse by Tom Smith. Wearing the number nine, Smith gives Pollard a few last-minute tips. They look nervous, but Pollard reassures him it'll be fine. Charles Howard takes his seat to watch the race as we see all the horses take their places in the starting gate. The bell sounds and we can hear the thunder of hooves as the horses race down the track. We're in the thick of the race now. At first, Pollard is in the middle of the pack, but as the race continues, he falls behind, far behind. 
Pollard urges his horse on until he catches up to another jockey, Georgie. They chat with each other for a brief moment as they're in the middle of the race and let the two horses see each other. That seems to be all he needs as Pollard urges his horse on ahead. Before long, he catches up to the rest of the pack. Then he passes one horse, two, three. Taking the outside track, they keep passing the other horses almost as if he's not trying. As they come around the stretch, the movie switches into slow motion as we see Red Pollard riding Seabiscuit way ahead of the rest of the pack. The crowd is cheering as Seabiscuit takes the victory. This depiction from the 2003 movie named after the horse, Seabiscuit, tells the story of an event that happened this week in history. It was on March 2nd, 1940 at the Santa Anita Park in Arcadia, California, that Seabiscuit rode his last race. And just like in the movie, he won that race. But it didn't happen quite like we see in the movie. The true story is that Seabiscuit didn't fall that far behind only to race ahead of everyone else so easily. You can find footage of the race itself on YouTube, and there's no indication of Red Pollard chatting with another jockey named George Wolfe in the middle of the race either. George is played by Gary Stevens in the movie, and he was based on a real person who also raced in the 1940 Big Cap, as they call it, or Handicap. In the true story, George was riding heel fly, and he came in sixth place. So while the race itself wasn't quite as dramatic as the movie shows it to be, it is true that Seabiscuit came in first place and cemented his name in the history books. If you want to see this week's event in history depicted on screen, check out the 2003 movie Seabiscuit. The final race starts at about two hours and four minutes into the film. And if you want to dig deeper into the true story, we covered that movie back on episode number 131 of Based on a True Story. This episode of Based on a True Story this week was written and produced by me, Dan Lefebvre. Before I let you go, while not historical events, there are some birthdays this week for people who have been mentioned in movies or TV shows. So if you're looking for more recommendations for things to watch this week, here are a few historical recommendations. On February 27th, 272 AD, Constantine the Great was born in Nisus. He was the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity and was played by Cornell Wilde in the 1961 biopic called Constantine and the Cross. On March 2, 1793, Sam Houston was born in Rockbridge County, Virginia. He was the first president of the Republic of Texas before it was part of the United States, something else that he helped with. The city of Houston in Texas is named after him. He's been portrayed in numerous movies, one of them being 2004's The Alamo, where he's played by Dennis Quaid. And we covered that movie back on episode number 172 of Based on a True Story. On March 3rd, 1847, Alexander Graham Bell was born in Edinburgh, Scotland. He's best known as the inventor of the telephone, and his story was told in the 1939 movie conveniently called The Story of Alexander Graham Bell, where he's played by Don Amechi. If you get value out of Based on a True Story, you can give back whatever you feel it's worth whether it's a dollar, $10, $100, whatever value you get out of the show. You can give back and learn how to get ad-free episodes of the show at basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. Until next time, thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you again really soon.